100 and 2000 UTC. Good evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington and here are some of the stories making news across South Sudan this Monday, March 6th, 2023. What will be the impact of President Kiir's decision to fire Defense Minister Angelina Tenney? I think the president uh, did this, made this decision because he does not want the transition to happen in a manner that threatens his continuation in power. And some volunteer lawyers are able to free inmates accused of minor offenses from Juba's central prison. We are looking at the mere crimes, uh, disputes, uh, some of the inmates, for example, uh, they've been, you know, uh, sentenced unjustly and uh, waiting a long time without being tried in the prisons, waiting for a long time. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Some South Sudanese analysts are criticizing President Salva Kiir for firing Defense Minister Tenney and placing the ministry under his ruling SPLM party. In a bit of a swap, the president then placed the interior ministry under the control of the Sudan People's Liberation Movement in opposition. More than one analyst has said the move risks jeopardizing the goal of the revitalized peace agreement. Waki Simon Wudu reports for VOA from Juba. In a presidential decree broadcast on state TV last Friday, President Kiir announced he fired Angelina Tenney as defense minister, put the defense ministry under his party's control, and in a separate decree, placed the interior ministry under the control of the SPLMIO. South Sudanese policy analyst Jokamadud Jok, a lecturer of anthropology at the University of Syracuse in New York, describes Kirk's decision to sack Tenney as not surprising, saying it's another example of the president violating the peace deal he signed in 2018. He says the move throws the peace deal into chaos at a time when there is some semblance of progress in implementing the deal. I think the president uh, did this, made this decision because he does not want the transition to happen in a manner that threatens his continuation in power. I just think that President Kiir believes that a chaotic political environment is good for him. It is what he, uh, he likes to prevail so that he can refuse to go along with the transition. Jock says President Kerr might have grown suspicious with tennis leadership at the defense ministry, especially regarding his position on the latest border conflicts with Kenya since security forces were never deployed to safeguard encroachment into South Sudan territory. And I think uh, Salva Kiir, may I did the president, uh, has played with fire once again. It is now uh, up to opposition leaders to decide whether uh, to see this as a declaration of conflict or to see it as a case of usurpation of power that can still be confronted and, and fought uh, civically and not through war. 
Policy analyst Boboya James says Kirk's decision to oust Cheney throws into question fundamental governance arrangements already agreed to by the parties. It's important for the president and the vice, the first vice president to come together and show leadership and show that they're working together and that there must be a spirit of dialogue between between them. Otherwise, the reforms that are supposed to be addressed under the peace agreement may not proceed. Jock says Kerr's decision does his hopes for peace and stability in the country. He says fixing the current stalemate is no longer the sole responsibility of the parties to the peace deal, but also the general public. While uh, President Kerr needs to be opposed on these actions that he keeps doing, uh, I think uh, the best thing to do is for opposition leaders, for civil society and civic activists to make their voices heard on this issue. Eddie Moniakani, an activist who heads the Community Empowerment for Progress organization and a signatory to the peace agreement, agrees. This is an indicator that is telling us that we are no longer on the pathway to peace and stability. We may be dragged to the pathway of returning back to violence and to political instability, which is contrary to the statement made by our political leaders always in public events whenever they are addressing the nation, that they will ensure under their responsibility the country is put in a pathway where we can transition from violence to peace in a genuine and peaceful and respectful manner. Under the revitalized peace agreement, the defense minister's position was allocated to the SPLMIO headed by First Vice President Riak Machar. Following a political bureau meeting chaired by Machar on Saturday, the SPLMIO condemned President Kerr's decision, saying it rejected what it described as a unilateral removal of Angelina Tenney as a Minister of Defense and Veteran Affairs. The SPLMIO also says, quote, the swapping of the ministries equally violates the provision of Article 1.12.1 of the agreement, which requires the parties to agree on the allocation and selection of the ministerial portfolios in the unity government. For VNOs, I'm working Simon Wudo in Juba. The SPLMIO firmly rejected Kier's decision to fire Tenney at a meeting over the weekend in Juba. Chapter 1 of the revitalized deal calls on all parties to consult one another before a decision is made. SPLMIO Chairman and First Vice President Riak Machar's Acting Press Secretary, Puak Bath Baluang, tells VOA Daybreak Africa host James Buddy that the party has urged Kier to reverse his decision and immediately reinstate Tenney. The political bill has resolved and rejects the unilateral removal of the Minister of Defense and President Affairs, Honorable Angelina Cheng, due to which is a violation to the agreement, precisely Article 1.13.1, which is gives the parties to the agreement the power to remove its representative in the Council of Ministers and eliminate replacement by notifying the president. Also, the swapping of the ministries. It is also a violation to the agreement, particularly Article 1.12.1 of the agreement, which requires the parties to agree on the allocation of selection of the ministerial portfolio in the article. Therefore, the political bureau calls upon President Safaki to revoke his unilateral decision or decrease 
Also, we call upon President Sasaki to reinstate Angelina Tange as the Minister of Defense and Veterans Affairs. What happens if President Savakir does not reinstate uh, the defense minister? Well, uh, there's a scheduled meeting between the president and the first vice president, which is the two principals, on the matter, because there was a lot of cycle of violations in the same scale, starting from President rejecting to appoint General Johnson Owen as the governor of Atanayan. The uh, example are so many. The leadership will take the further step depends on the outcome of uh, the meeting between the two principals on Monday. It was just last month that Pope Francis was in South Sudan. And I think one of the things he said was for the both signatories to the revitalized agreement to recommit themselves to the peace process. Do you think the peace process is going in the right direction with this decision or is going in the wrong direction? Unfortunately, the president's decision came almost one month from the visit of the church's leaders visit to South Sudan. It would be great if the parties to that government has captured the momentum of the holy visit to South Sudan and also the messages that they have left behind to the parties to unite themselves, to reconcile and so on and so forth. However, it seems the president uh, is not touched by all these messages. Otherwise, they will not have to violate the agreement and uh, he would have focused and worked with the first vice president collectively on how to implement the rest of the articles of the agreement in the Chinese spirit in the preparation for conducting an election. According to our evaluation, it is a bad start to kick off also the new extension, which is the roadmap by the president. Therefore, we urge the president to revert to the course of peace, to revert back to the course of working with the peace partners or the peace signatories to the government on how to implement the chapters and the articles of the government in form of programs and to work closely and hard to implement the peace agreement in that time period. That is Puak Boath Baluang, Acting Press Secretary for First Vice President Riak Machar. He was speaking with my colleague James Buddy. A group of lawyers in South Sudan known as the Legal Aid and Human Rights Organization helped get 19 inmates released recently from South Sudan's Juba Central Prison. The group, which helped free two more inmates today, says the men were being held on small offenses like an outstanding loan. Many of the prisoners were never even sent to trial, as we hear from Munyang David Mayar for VOA in Juba. Robert Matthew, National Director for the Human Appeal Organization, says Juba prison is overflowing with prisoners who are charged with slight offenses. He says some prisoners have even finished serving the jail terms but are unable to pay the fine. We are looking at the mere crimes, uh, disputes. Uh, some of the inmates, for example, uh, they've been, you know, uh, sentenced unjustly and are waiting a long time without being tried in the prisons, waiting for a long time. Over two years, three years, these are the cases we are looking at. So, and then we pay for their relief. And uh, we have mobilized, uh, you know, our money from the, you know, our boards of directors. Matthew says last month, the Legal Aid and Human Rights Organization secured the release of 17 inmates from Juba Central Prison who remained behind bars because they couldn't pay a fine or a loan. 
He says the legal aid paid 2.7 million South Sudanese pounds, or approximately $2,500, to cover the fines of most inmates. There are cases, for instance, of the loan. You know, somebody borrowed money from somebody and is not able to recover the money in this. You know, in the due time they have agreed upon uh, when it approaches the police. And then the police, it takes a few days, even two hours. And if he is not able to settle, then the order is sent to the prison. And if there is no follow-up, and uh, there are no ways that he can come out. One inmate released today who prefers we don't use his name for safety reasons says he was sent to prison in November 2021 for public intoxication. But he is happy to be a free man. He says there was a small problem at home some issues with alcohol. I do some manual work, and when I return home very tight, I take a little bit of alcohol. And the family was not good with that. They opened the case, and I was brought here. I feel happy and thankful, and I will stop drinking so that I can focus on my life. Legal advocate Awal Mabir, who works for Rech and Company Advocates, says some women have been separated from their children due to minor offenses. Some that are staying here for the fines, and the fines, like a debt, we debt from people, and we cannot pay back, so I should bring them and stay in the prison. No one can support and no one can help a legal aid for those who are not able to pay. The women, sometimes we cannot fight for our rights. Major General Tongun Tombe, head of South Sudan Prison Service, says the prison was built for only 400 inmates, but now accommodates between 2,000 and 3,000 inmates. He says efforts to decongest Juba Central Prison are welcome. If there are people of goodwill, they are coming out to pay this thing, uh, particularly for those crimes where people have taken money from others and, and they are committed to the prison because they cannot be able to pay. Then, then we, we, the prison authority, we would even be more, 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 more delighted for that because the burden, the burden of the criminal justice system is on our head. It's, it's reducing, it's reducing the, the condition. Thomas says Juba Central Prison has become a dumping ground for people accused of minor offenses. Last month, South Sudan President Salva Kiir Mayardit pardoned 36 inmates on death row and 35 inmates who failed to pay conversation or fines. For VOA News, I'm Anyang David Mayor in Juba. Listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, some central Equatoria villagers say they're living in fear after another deadly attack over the weekend. Find out more after the break. South Sudan and focus on the voice of America. Local leaders in one part of central Equatoria state say villagers are living in fear after pastoralists from Jungle A State attacked their Payam over the weekend, killing several people, including a head teacher. A lawmaker in the national legislature has condemned the attack and called on the national government to intervene. Waki Samenwudu has more for VOA from Juba. Lainya County lawmakers told reporters at the National Parliament this afternoon that the attackers were heavily armed. 
The lawmakers say they attackers moved into a market in Limuro and started shooting indiscriminately, killing five people and wounding nine others. Speaking on behalf of the lawmakers, MP Joyce Dusman says state and national government officials need to urgently intervene and address insecurity in the area as well as the humanitarian situation. On Saturday, 4th March 2023, a heavily armed cattle keepers from Denkabor brutal gunned down 14 innocent civilians in Limuro trading center of La- of Wujipayam, Lanya County. They killed five people, including the head teacher of Limuro Primary School, and the nine people were seriously injured. Dosman says attacks by cattle herders endanger local residents and halt the return of refugees from neighboring countries like Uganda. Demand the immediate removal of all armed cattle herders from territories of Lanya County in particular, and Central Equatoria in general. Demand immediate and full investigation on this incident of killing and the outcomes should be made public. Demand the immediate return of all looted properties to their rightful owners. Batali Oliver, chairperson of Limuro community of Wujipayam, says 27 households have fled the area and are seeking refuge in Uganda. Oliver says empty cattle herders have looted property, destroyed crop fields, and killed civilians, and yet the government has taken no action to hold the perpetrators accountable. Because the community is living in fear, communities are exposed to threat. We are just thinking anything, anytime also happens soon. Because this is the thirteenth person, persons that were lost in an interval of one year and ten months since 2021. All along this atrocity is being committed. There has been no accountability, no justice. Last month, Oliver says the empty cattle herders killed a chief in the same village of Limuro. He is calling on state and national authorities to hold the killers accountable. The counter authorities have been trying their best, but you know these people came in a very large number. But I may think the county authority is no longer having the necessary power to abat these people by force. These people requires a collective effort of the national government and the state government to help the county government to flush out these pastoralists. Lanya County Commissioner Emmanuel Kamis says the issue of the cattle herders is becoming a national security matter. He is calling the South Sudan National Security Council to address the issue of empty cattle herders roaming freely with their arms without being questioned. Kamis says his government is doing all he can to address the situation on ground. And as a government, I have just completed the security meeting to brief our security forces and we have already received reinforcement from Juba, which I have directed them now. We need to start work and ensure that these cattle keepers are driving out of the areas of Lanya County at any cost because we cannot have a situation where armed civilians roam with the uh, guns terrorizing innocent civilians, raising on farmlands. The deadly attack in Lanya County is the latest in a series of deadly attacks in recent months in central Equatorial state. Last month, empty pastoralists were accused of killing 28 civilians in Kajokeji County, an incident that prompted Governor Emmanuel Adel to temporarily move his office to Kajokeji County.
efforts to reach Mayom Atenewai, Secretary General of the Board Community, for comments on this story were unsuccessful. For VON News, I'm Wake Simon Wudu in Juba. The editor of Al Mugif Arabic newspaper in Juba says the future of Arabic language in South Sudan is unpredictable. Matyang Cirillo says most Arabic newspapers operating in the country have no support from international organizations supporting media. Cirillo tells VOA's John Tanza that despite the challenges facing his newspaper, Arabic is still important to South Sudanese for a number of reasons. We should not forget that there's a lot of generation who grow up in Khartoum, in Egypt, and some who start their studies in Juba or in South Sudan uh, before uh, CPA. You're talking about before the country became independent? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, most of those are reading Arabic, are writing Arabic. They finish their studies in, 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 in Arabic. So Arabic as a language is still alive in South Sudan. What is the population of your readers, if you can tell me off your head? We print... Uh, 1,000 uh, uh, every day. That is 1,000 copies of newspapers every day? Yeah, just in Juba. Mm-hmm. Just in, in, in Juba. Between 60 to 70% of these papers, we sold it out every day. What are some of the challenges you're facing? Because I can imagine you're, you're operating in an environment where everybody is, you know, speaking English and reading English. What are some of the challenges facing you? The the, on, the, the, the only challenges uh, facing us is the cost of printing. Every three months, we receive an adjustment of prices from the uh, printing uh, company. Okay, that is affect us so much. What are the publishers telling you the reasons for increasing the price or changing the price? No, when uh, when our local uh, currency get down. Then depreciates, yeah, and then uh, everything goes up. Talk to me apart from the, the cost of printing, what about the cost of operation? I mean, your rent, your staff, who, who is funding you? No, uh, we pay and we, we pay for the, uh, the renting of the, the office, the salary of my staff from the paper itself. We get some uh, advertisement, uh, we get some. Uh, Business uh, companies who give us an invitation to do uh, special reports, and then we get something from uh, them. But uh, the most uh, the most operation is coming from uh, the advertisement. If someone wants to start a newspaper in Juba in Arabic, what would you tell them? It's just uh, let him just uh, be uh, patient. Uh, and to be honest, a lot of uh, your journalists who is doing Arabic, most of them, they are shifting to other uh, jobs. Journalists who have gone to school in Arabic are abandoning the jobs. They are looking for the better uh, job uh, because uh, to most of them are not getting that's enough money uh, to, to run their life. But, but you were saying here that Arabic is here to stay. It's not dying in South Sudan. So if the journalists who are supposed to produce content in this language are opting for other jobs because they're not getting enough money. Do you see Arabic language surviving in South Sudan? Yeah, yeah, Arabic uh, is, is surviving uh, because the, the war affects a lot of people, okay? Those who are living in the north part of the country, most of them, they are, they are now in, in Sudan. They are studying in Arabic. They are doing anything in Arabic. And 
we have a very like uh, border uh, with Sudan. There are a lot of issues that we didn't uh, they didn't uh, finish yet uh, with uh, Sudan. How can we left Arab Arabic behind and we still have a lot of problem with Sudan? Okay, we need uh, the Arabic language to be here for strategic uh, reason, for security reason. Okay, till now, if you go to any police station, okay, you go and you in, and you will open your case, you will do your investigation uh, with the Arabic, even 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 in, in the in the courts, even if you go to the market, Arabic is still there. Are there non-governmental organizations that are supporting media in South Sudan? Are they organizations helping you? No, we we don't get any kind of fund or help from the, the NGOs. Our colleagues in uh, English newspaper, maybe they are better than us because they are getting uh, a lot of support. But, but have you asked the NGOs why they are not supporting you? Because if they are supporting media, they should support media regardless of which language this media operates in. Yeah, uh, we, 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 we opened some discussion with some of them. But they, they said uh, they have uh, a, the line that they are working on it. Okay. Uh, even if we talk about the, 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 the a lot of the topics like uh, gender-based uh, violence, human rights, all this, we, in Arabic newspaper, we are the best in focusing and discussing of these issues. That's Matiang Cirillo, editor-in-chief of the Abujif newspaper, speaking with my colleague John Tanza in Juba this past hour. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Strong, unified support for Ukraine as it defends itself from Russia's brutal war is a top priority for NATO. That's because the Ukrainian military forces are not only fighting to defend their own territory, but they are also fighting to protect the values at the core of the NATO alliance and the U.N. Charter, said U.S. Ambassador to NATO Julianne Smith. Indeed, NATO's strategic concept calls out Russia as a threat to the alliance, said Ambassador Smith. But it also talks about many of the challenges that we face, whether it's the PRC and its efforts to divide the alliance from within, or some of the other challenges like cybersecurity, climate security, challenges stemming from emerging and disruptive technologies, or even challenges associated with space. This strategic concept is in essence NATO for the future, said Ambassador Smith. We're looking at things like cybersecurity or malicious cyber attacks, and there the alliance is coming together to first and foremost protect its own networks and also focus on developing new tools, new initiatives that will better protect all of us from countries that use cyber attacks to threaten us or to try and divide us or to push us towards one position or another. We're simultaneously looking at other hybrid tactics that our adversaries like to rely on. Some countries, Russia, for example, increasingly rely on disinformation. That is a topic of conversation. Energy security is another topic of conversation. 
The alliance is also looking very closely at critical undersea infrastructure, particularly in the wake of the attacks on Nord Stream 1 and 2, said Ambassador Smith. And finally, NATO is looking forward to welcoming two new allies, Sweden and Finland, who requested membership in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. These are two countries that represent the values that we are here to protect. They're full-fledged democracies, but they're also extremely capable allies. These are two countries that have exercised and trained with NATO forces for many years, and they've also participated in NATO missions. Coming together, the alliance is looking at traditional military conventional challenges by strengthening its deterrence and defense, said Ambassador Smith. But the alliance is looking well beyond that, well beyond its core mission to take on a variety of new challenges that we are all facing. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. And that wraps it up for us this Monday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast by chance, swing on over to www.voaafrica.com backslash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Nara Kapanena by Kennedy. I'm your host, Carol Van Dam in Washington. On behalf of our engineer, John Walker, and producer, Kwame Afori, thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Yeah.